The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Our scripture reading this evening is from Acts 1, 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good evening. How are we feeling this evening? Good, good. Always a rousing response. Thanks, Brent. Uh, Good to be with you guys. If you haven't met before, my name is Tim. I serve as the pastor here at Citizens. Want to welcome you to, uh, if you don't know, our second ever weekly Sunday gathering. So we're still figuring it out as a church, getting our feet under us, but we're here to worship God and celebrate him. And so it's a good day because of that. Uh, Grateful to be opening God's word with you. If you have a Bible, go ahead and get to Acts chapter 1, which Rachel just read for us. Acts chapter 1. If you need a Bible, there should be some on the rows. Just nod. Somebody will pass that on down to you. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to take that home with you as our gift to you to read it and to encounter Jesus in the scriptures. Acts chapter 1. If you're in one of those pew Bibles, it'll be on page 530. We are launching into a new series we're going to be in for the next 10 weeks today uh, called Acts, How the Church Was Planted. I'm supposed to mention that. Don't worry about this up here. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, Acts, how the church was planted. We're asking the question, if we as a church are a brand new church plant, what do we have to learn from how the very first churches ever were planted? How can we learn and what can we pull from these first early followers of Jesus as they sought to preach the gospel and to gather people together and worship him in small churches all across the world at that time? If you didn't know, church planting is not a new thing. Church planting is not something relatively new with the 90s or 2000s or even over the last 100 years. Church planting has been going on since these early Christians here as we're going to read and study in the book of Acts. For thousands of years, people have been preaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus such that people are gathered together and churches are formed. So what we get to step into as a church, if you call Citizens Church your church home, your church family, we get to step into what, is, what Jesus has been doing for thousands and thousands of years. So we're asking the question as we look at these different stories in the book of Acts, what do we as an early church, plant, as a little tiny church plant, have to learn from the early church? 
What should our rhythms and routines as a church look like? How do we share the gospel with those around us? How do we live in the power of the Holy Spirit? How do we suffer well for the sake of the faith? How do we make sure God gets the glory in everything that we do? So we're headed over the next 10 weeks. We're going to start today in Acts chapter 1. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dive in together. Lord, we are grateful to get to gather with your people tonight. It's a privilege, it's a blessing, it's a gift from you. Would you help us as we open your word together? You promise in your scriptures that your word never returns void. And so would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, work and move in such a way that your word, your truth, your reality will just implant into our souls. We'll love differently, we'll think differently, we'll live differently because of what we see in your word. We need you. We love you. Pray like things in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 1, we're going to look at uh, the first 11 verses. We're going to camp out mostly in verse 8, but I want to get us there uh, after a little bit. So Acts 1, we're going to look at uh, 1 through 11. Here we go. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. All right, pause there. So the book of Acts is written by a man named Luke, most likely around AD 62. And Luke was a follower of Jesus, as well as a traveling companion of the apostle Paul as he travels around and preaches the gospel and plants churches. And this is the same Luke who wrote the gospel of Luke that we actually studied during our Advent season. And Acts here is sort of a part two or part B or even kind of a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. So he says right off the bat, verse one, chapter one, he says, in the first book, implying that Acts here is the second book, the sequel. So the, the Gospel of Luke and Acts, they're both written to the same man, this guy named Theophilus. Theophilus was most likely a Roman government official, an early convert to the Christian faith. And Theophilus has some questions, he has some doubts, he's wrestling with his newfound faith in Jesus. So in Luke's gospel, he walks through the life of Jesus. He says, talks about how Jesus came to earth as a baby, how he lived a perfect life, preaching, teaching, performing miracles. He gets murdered on a cross, but he doesn't stay dead. He gets up three days later. And after that, Luke says in verse 3, he spends 40 days in his resurrected body with his disciples, doing what he did during his earthly ministry, preaching about the kingdom of God. Keep going, verse 4. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus is wrapping up his time with his disciples. He's about to ascend to the right hand of the Father. But first he tells them, I got a job for you to do, but first wait. First thing you need to do is wait because the Holy Spirit, who I've promised you before, is coming. We're going to talk about that next week. Very, very excited. Acts chapter 2, but verse 6. Let's keep going. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They bring back up this question that the Jewish people had been asking for centuries. Are you the Messiah? Are you the one who came to redeem us? Are you the one who came to lift us out of this slavery to the Romans? Jesus says, verse 7, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of 
the earth. This is where I want to sit for the rest of our time tonight. So verse 8 is a summary statement of the entire book of Acts. So if you're wondering, what are the 28 chapters in Acts about? It is about this, this mission that God puts his people on. If I could summarize it in any way, I would say this. Acts is about the Holy Spirit-empowered mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Acts is about the Holy Spirit-empowered mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So from the very beginning of time, all the way back to Genesis 1, God's mission has been to bring a people to himself, to redeem a people for his own, that there would be a flourishing relationship between God and humanity. We read this in Genesis 1 and 2, right? The first man and first woman, Adam and Eve, living in the Garden of Eden in perfect harmony with God. Then they rebel. They sin. Genesis 3, they, they rebel against God and sin enters the world and it breaks that relationship. And so God has spent this entire time up till Acts 1 pursuing a people for himself. That's a, a one-sentence summary of the entire Old Testament. If you want to know what the Old Testament is about, it is God pursuing the Israelites to make them a people for his own. That's what God is going after. He says, I want these people to be about me, to worship me, so that I get the glory both in their nation but also in the watching world. But then God, that whole time, has also a bigger plan. The people that would include not just the Israelites, but, but more people than that. He has a bigger kingdom. And so he sends Jesus, who we talked about last week, came as the great high priest and the one-time sacrifice, who creates a new way for a new people of God. Not based on nationality, but based on faith in Christ. So Jesus accomplishes what he set out to accomplish. He defeats Satan. He defeats death. He defeats sin. He inaugurates his kingdom. And now he tells his disciples, you got to go tell some people about this. This is the greatest news ever. That's what he says in verse 8. Read it again. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So he says, you're going to go take the good news of the gospel to Jerusalem, which is your own city to Judea, which is the surrounding region in which Jerusalem is settled in. You have Samaria, this neighboring nation, these people that the Jewish people really didn't like. They didn't get along with. They looked down upon the Samaritans. Jesus says the gospel is for them too, that other that you want to cast aside. He says to the end of the earth, to the nations. It's the call of the early apostles, these early followers of Jesus. They're called to be witnesses for Christ to experience his love, to see tangibly his goodness, and to take it to the watching world. In his gospel, Luke records the same conversation. He's just going to give us a little more detail. This is what he writes in Luke 24, 45 through 49. The same scene, he just gives us a little bit more of what Jesus says. He says, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Verse 48, this is the key. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So the apostles, they had walked with Jesus. They had spent three years, day in and day out, as followers of him, as his disciples. They would have eaten together and traveled together and lived day in and day out, all of their lives together. They've seen his teachings. They've seen his miracles. They've heard him talk about the kingdom of God. They've seen him die. Now they've seen him rise again. And Jesus says, you've been witnesses of these things. And what do witnesses do? They see something and experience something in such a way that it affects them 
then they go tell others about it. That's his call. That's his commission for them. Go tell others what you have experienced, that there is a Jesus, and I am the long-awaited Messiah who has come to forgive sins and give life eternal with God. It's the mission of the disciples. Wait for the Holy Spirit and then go. As we're going to see in the book of Acts, go they did, right? So just a short while later, there's going to be 120 of them gathered together in a house, praying, seeking the Lord, and the Holy Spirit's going to come, and it's going to be like, boom, he just shows up in crazy ways. I'm telling you, I cannot wait for next week. Holy Spirit shows up, boom, everyone's like, what's going on? They start speaking in different languages. Peter gets up, because he's always the first to speak, and he starts preaching this dynamite sermon, and 120 people over the course of one sermon grows to 3,000 believers in Jesus. And those 3,000 spread out all across Jerusalem and they're healing the sick and they're preaching the gospel and they're loving one another and serving the poor and caring for each other's needs. And then you get to Acts chapter 8. Stephen, an early deacon, an early servant in the church, he's killed for preaching the gospel. And then you read this, Acts 8, 1. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Remember what Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And the gospel continues to spread, it continues to spread, and you get to the final chapter of Acts, Acts 28, and Paul, after trying and trying and trying, finally gets to take the gospel to the city of Rome, which is the end of the known world at that time. Remember what Jesus said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and where? To the end of the earth. Jesus says, go, and they go. That's how the gospel spreads. This is what God does. He uses his spirit and dwelt people to take the gospel to the nations. I love the way theologian Michael Green puts it, talking about Acts. He says, three crucial decades in world history. That is all it took. In the years between 80, 33, and 64, a new movement was born. In those 30 years, it got sufficient growth and credibility to become the largest religion the world has ever seen and to change the lives of hundreds of millions of people. It has spread into every corner of the globe and has more than two billion putative adherents. This had an indelible impact on civilization, on culture, on education, on medicine, on freedom, and of course on the lives of countless people worldwide. And the seedbed for all this, the time when it took decisive root was in these three decades. I love this last line. It all began with a dozen men and a handful of women, and then the Spirit the beauty that we're going to see in Acts. There's 120 men and women in a house praying and seeking the Lord, and the Spirit comes, and the world is never the same. It takes over. The gospel spreads. Now, here's the point. What does, what does this mean for us? Here's the, here's the point. Acts is our history. Acts is our history. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus for salvation, you are a part of Christ's church. You're a part of his people. This is your story. In other words, reading Acts as a Christian is a little bit like watching Hamilton as an American. All right, you're watching and reading your story. You're seeing how it all plays out, which means we are here today, January 10th, 2021, in Charlotte, North Carolina at 1324 the Plaza, worshiping Jesus because of what happens in the book of Acts. Because of what happens here, because the early followers of Jesus were faithful to wait and pray and receive the power of the Holy Spirit and then go get busy doing the work of God, being a witness. What happened is the gospel spread and it spread and it spread over geography and over history until someone shared the gospel with someone else and the Holy Spirit moved and they believed. And then they shared the gospel with somebody else and the Holy Spirit moved and they believed. And then they shared the gospel with somebody in your life, a parent, a friend, a 
coworker, a grandparent, a pastor, whoever, and the Holy Spirit moved like he has for thousands and thousands of years, and you put your faith in Jesus. You are on the lineage of Acts. This is your story. And then what happens is when you put your faith in Jesus, when you become a Christian, what happens is that you now get wrapped up into this giant mission of God that he has been working for thousands and thousands of years of bringing people back to himself. You become a part of that beauty, which what means is the gospel is not supposed to spread and spread and spread over geography and time until it gets to you and then stops. The gospel is not meant to just simply come to you. It's meant to go through you. Gospel is not meant to simply come to you. It's meant to go through you. This commission Jesus gives to his early followers in Acts 1-8 is your commission. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is a command and charge to you to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, which you do when you put your faith in Christ, and to go be a witness of the beauty of Jesus in your life and what you see in his word. In other words, if you're a Christian, you are a witness. Simple as that. It's a part of your identity. It's who you are. You are a witness. You are a herald of what Christ has done for you personally and in history corporately. As you remember and taste of the sweetness of Jesus, like we read about in Ephesians 2 where it says that you were dead in your sin. You had no hope. You were not able to save yourself, and yet Jesus came and made you alive. And then you read the book of Acts, and you read the Gospels, and you read the rest, Genesis to Revelation, and you see the beauty of God and the story he's unfolding. So you're a witness not only to what Jesus has done in your life personally, but also in history, in our church corporately. You go as a proclaimer of those things. That's what a witness does. A witness tells others about what they've experienced. A witness experiences something in such a way that it changes them from the inside out, and they can't help but tell others about it. They can't help but tell others about how their affections have been captured, about how their hearts have been changed, about how their loves have been stirred. They can't help but share because they're never the same. Have I ever told you all about my love for cruising? Hardship, stay with me. Anybody? Have I taught you about my love for cruising? Good or chunk of the room, I can talk more. I love cruises, right? This is my, my favorite way to vacation ever. So junior year of college, uh, over winter break, I took a trip with a group of my college buddies. We went to the Caribbean for a few days on a boat. And I kid you not, I don't think this is an overstatement. I was never the same. Like there's something about it just got into my bones and I fell in love. I have four experiences of this. My salvation, cruising, getting married, and having a kid. Like those are the four deep, I'm just kidding. But I loved it. I loved every minute of it. This is what cruising is about. Let me paint the picture of how wonderful this type of vacation is such that you should also do it. You, uh, this, is a, this is a typical day on a cruise ship, right? So you wake up, you go outside to your balcony overlooking the beautiful Caribbean ocean. This person drops off your made-to-order breakfast of whatever you want, omelets, bagels, muffins, coffee, just whatever you want to eat. And you sit on your balcony and you just bask at the sun and the ocean and you eat your breakfast. And then it's like, hey, you know what we should do today? We should go to the pool because there's a pool on a ship in the middle of the ocean because humans are crazy. And so we go up to the pool and I sit by the pool. I drink a Corona. I lounge. I bask in the sun. Occasionally I get in a hot tub, it's great. Eventually we're like, hey, look at that Caribbean island over in the distance. You want to get off the ship and go on a Caribbean island for the day? Yes, I do. That sounds wonderful. This is the 
Lindsay and I are having this conversation, if you're wondering. Uh, so we go, and you lay out on a beach all day, and you just bask in the sun, and then it's like, this is enough sun, I've had enough of this Caribbean island. So you go back on the ship, and you change, and you get ready for dinner, and you go sit down at this wonderful, beautiful dining room, and you have steak and lobster and two desserts, or as many as you want, because it's all-inclusive. Did I mention that it's all-inclusive? And you eat this whole wonderful meal, and then it's like, you know what we should do? We should see a Broadway show on a ship, because you can do that. So you go to the Broadway show, and then you take in this Broadway show, and you're like, no, the night's not over yet. Let's go see a magician, because there's also a magician on the ship. And then you go to bed, and you do it all over again, except this time there's another island out there. This is wonderful. I know what you're thinking. Let me dispel some of your worries and fears. They make really good medicine, so you're not going to get seasick. The ships are large enough. You probably won't even feel the boat rocking. And you're not going to be bored because you should go with me, and I'm fun. Why are we laughing? That, my friends, is called witnessing. When you're so changed by something, when your affections are so stirred by something, that you just can't help but go, I got to tell people. I got to watch that YouTube vlog on that live vlog of that cruise. I got to go get on the message boards. I got to tell everyone, including our neighbors who came over for dinner last night, about how much I love cruising. True story, it actually happened. Here's the thing. We know what it's like to witness to something that's been affected, that we've been affected by. Right? Ask any Taylor Swift fan over the last five months. Folklore, folklore, folklore. Right, and we Instagram post about it, and we text our friends about it, and we just can't stop talking about it. We know what it's like to have our hearts changed so much by something or someone that we just can't stop talking about it. Church, let me ask you a question. How much more and true and beautiful is the gospel of Jesus? It captures our hearts. It changes us. That literally affects our entire eternal destiny. We are dead in our sin, but Jesus and his kindness and his mercy sent the Holy Spirit. When we didn't want him, we didn't want to pursue him, we didn't want to go after him, called us to himself, made us alive. That's the hope we take to the watching world. This is how Paul talks about it, 2 Corinthians 5. He says it this way, verse 18, he says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been reconciled to God. I thought about that last week. You've been brought into relationship with him, and now you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. You have this task, this charge, this command to take the good news of Jesus to a lost and dying world and implore them, like Paul does here in 2 Corinthians 5, plead with them to be reconciled to God as well. But I want to talk about this. If if you're anything like me, there can be a big disconnect between knowing, yeah, I'm a witness for Jesus, I should do it, and actually living it out in our lives. Right? If you're anything like me, sometimes I just get caught up in the busyness of life. I just don't think about it. I just kind of go about my routine, my day, just trying to get by with my job, trying to love my family well, trying to make sure my bills are paid, all of those types of things. Sometimes I'm lazy. It's hard work. It's hard work to start a new friendship. It's hard work to engage in a friendship. It's hard work to ask tough questions, to be open about having spiritual conversations. Sometimes I'm afraid. I don't know what they're going to think about me. I really like them. I really like hanging out with them. I don't want them to look at me like I'm that weird Christian guy. A lot of times it's easier to talk about something else or just not even engage at all. This is how 
Timothy Paul Jones and Dina Montgomery talk about it in their book, Faith Mapping. I find it really helpful. They say, when it comes to being a witness, I'm either apathetic, embarrassed, or unashamed. If I'm apathetic, I lack any compassion for the lost, and thus I lack motivation to share the gospel. If I'm embarrassed, my compassion for the lost is overshadowed by my fear of rejection. If I'm unashamed, then the gospel has broken through to give me compassion and boldness. I'm a witness for Jesus. I'm a light and ambassador sent by the King of Kings. So some of us were apathetic. We're apathetic about being a witness. We're apathetic about people not knowing Jesus. We're apathetic about sharing the gospel. And we need some gospel softness. We need to pray. We need to seek the Holy Spirit. We need to ask him to break our hearts for those around us that don't know him to break our hearts as we remember what God has done for us, that we were lost, we were broken, yet he pursued us. He sent someone along our path that loved us enough to share the gospel with us, and we need to be soft to the mission of God. Some of us are afraid and embarrassed. We need gospel courage. We need to remember that our identity is sealed in Christ. We need to remember that the Bible says we are not given a spirit of fear or timidity, but of courage. All of us face very real spiritual warfare. Right? So it's not a true one-for-one one that sharing about cruising and sharing about the gospel is the same because the devil doesn't care if I talk about cruising. But he does care if I talk about Jesus. So for some of us, for a lot of us, maybe all of us, we need to pray. We need to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to break down chains like only he can, to fight the battles that only he can, to take scales off their eyes like only he can. The beauty of Acts 1, really the whole story of Acts and the whole story of our lives is that God knows how fragile his people are. When God, knows, when God hears, when you pray to him, God, I'm, I'm scared right now, I'm lazy right now, I'm apathetic right now, God's not like, what, you are, really? No, he knows. He knows how broken we are. He knows how fragile we are. He knows how afraid and embarrassed we get. He knows how uncertain and doubtful and worried we can be, and yet we are still his plan to get the gospel to a lost and dying world. I mean, think about who he's talking to here in Acts 1.8. Right, think about the men that are around him, right? Peter, who like three months earlier was betraying him at his moment of greatest need, was saying, I'm not with Jesus, no, you have somebody else. James and John, who the week that Jesus was going to be led up to be crucified, were still arguing about who was going to sit at his right hand and left, trying to fight for power. The rest of these guys who fell asleep in the garden the night before Jesus was crucified, when he said, pray for me, I just need your prayer, I'm in trouble, pray for me, and they couldn't help but fall asleep. A ragtag bunch of sinful, prideful mess-ups. And those are the ones we have names for. Most of the 120 that we're going to meet next week in Acts 2, we don't even have their names. Most of the things that happen in the book of Acts to spread the gospel don't even get named. They don't get named. They're just random people that are faithful and struggling and sinful that are saying, you know what? The Holy Spirit has changed me, and so even though I'm afraid, even though I'm uncertain, even though I'm doubtful, I'm still going to step into my calling as a witness by the power of the Holy Spirit and take the gospel to a world that needs it. That's so encouraging to me. So encouraging to me that most of the people that are responsible for the gospel spreading in the book of Acts and throughout church history don't get named. Like, what a great way to live and die. Right? To be like, yeah, I gave my life away preaching the gospel of Jesus and nobody remembered me. Maybe my family. Like, that sounds kind of morbid. No, it sounds like the story of Jesus. Because it's not about these people, it's about Jesus. It's about these people having some great ministry, these people having some great church, these people having some great witnessing thing. You have Paul, he did some cool stuff, but even he was like, I'm the worst of sinners. 
The story of Acts is so encouraging and can be so encouraging to us as a church when we remember, no, God uses ordinary, broken people empowered by his Holy Spirit to get the gospel to the nations. That's his plan for the world. That's his plan for Charlotte. Just use broken, ordinary people. That's the beauty of, of where you're at. God has put you somewhere in particular. One of the things I love about our church is that we are pretty spread out across the city in different pockets. We got people up at University City. We got folks down in Matthews over on the west side by the airport and just kind of all over. And, and I love God's providence in where he has us. I love God's providence that he has seen fit to put specific people in specific neighborhoods, in specific jobs, in specific gyms, in specific uh, grocery stores and restaurants and coffee shops, all with the purpose of you being there to be an ambassador of reconciliation for the kingdom of God. You are where you are, not by accident, not because it was the best house option, not because it was the best job option. You are where you are because of the providence of God to put you there so you could be a witness for him. Your family, your workplace, all of that. All of us have a circle of influence right now. God has put us where we can be witnesses for Christ. Don't think because you don't live overseas, because you're not on church staff, or because you're not a pastor that you don't have a mission. God has called you, and God has purposed you, and he's commanded you to take his gospel to the watching world. Don't think COVID gives you a pass. Yeah, be safe, absolutely. Use wisdom, absolutely. The gospel has spread in more trying times than this. The gospel has spread persecution, uncertainty. I love the way Pastor Tony Merida talks about this idea, this idea that God has placed us where he's placed us as witnesses for him. He says this, the only difference in a believer sitting in his or her American home and a foreign missionary on the field is location, not identity. You are a Christian, then you are a witness. Matthew 9, 37, Jesus tells his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. Church, there's a lost world all around us with no hope, with no knowledge of Jesus, with no awareness of their sin. And that's true immediately where God has put you in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your job, whatever. But also that's true of this building. That's true of where God has seen fit to put us here, 1324, the plaza. And so I want to close with this. Finally getting around to the packing peanuts. I want to tell you a little bit about the mission field that God has put around our church. So this right here, 61 packing peanuts, represents the, 60, the 61 plus one members that call Citizens Church their church home. I call them their church family. I want to show you the mission field around us. I want to show you how many people live within five miles of this building that don't know Jesus. Hundred and twenty-five thousand packing peanuts. Hundred and twenty-five thousand people with souls that will not spend eternity with God. That are lost, that are broken, that are hopeless in their sin. Hundred and twenty-five thousand people with stories and families and lives within five miles of this building. If you branch that out to Charlotte proper, it comes more like 500,000. 
you get Charlotte Metro as a whole, Huntersville, Gastonia, Matthews, some of the surrounding areas, that number becomes 1.5 million. Multiply that by 12. So many people in our city don't know Jesus. And God has seen fit in his providence and his confusing kindness that he would use his people. Scared, apathetic, broken, sinful, selfish people to be his plan to reach the world. That's what it means to be an agent of reconciliation. That's what it means to be a witness for Christ, that we would see 125,000 and have a little bit of, oh crap. It's more than I can do, more than you can do, more than your community group can do, more than our church can do. The point is that we're faithful. The point is that we look at the harvest and we seek the Lord on behalf of the harvest and go, God, this is bigger than any one person or any one group or any one church. We need your spirit to move in our city. and We need revival like only you can send because this is too much and not okay. We're called to be witnesses. We'll flesh out the, the what's and the how's and in the application in your group this week, but I want to take a time to pray. Rightfully, you should look at this pile with some sadness, some hope because Jesus saves, and some sadness. So I want to spend some time praying. The Holy Spirit doesn't move. The Holy Spirit doesn't work. It doesn't matter. These are 125,000 people with souls that need to know Jesus. So I'm going to invite the band back up. They're going to play for a little bit behind us. And before we move into communion and worship and all that, I want to take some time to pray, to seek the Lord on behalf of the harvest. Matthew 9, Jesus says, pray that the Lord would send out laborers. Pray that he would send out workers. So I want to pray as a church that we would be a people sensitive to the gospel needs around us, that we would pray and seek the Lord on behalf of our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends and our family and our barista and our postal worker and our et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that we would be burdened for the sake of the gospel with those around us and those around our church. So take some time to pray. You can pray individually. You can pray together, whatever you want to do, and then I'll come back up and I'll close this and I'll lead us into communion and worship. But I want to seek the Lord on behalf of the great, incredible gospel need around us. So y'all pray now. God, we are so desperate for you to move. It's overwhelming to, to think about just the sheer number of people that don't know you in our city that would want to know you. I'm grateful for the way you pursued me, the way you chased me, the way you sent people after me when I didn't know you. And I was rebellious, going my own way, and then you chased me down, but your love, but also through the courage of your people. 125,000 people with souls and lives and stories, way more than our little church can do. She just calls to be faithful, to live as 
witnesses that are changed by you, that are empowered by you, that are emboldened by you, and that will stop at nothing to see the gospel come to bear in the lives of those you've placed around us. I pray that when people think about Citizens Church, they'll think about a people that can't help but share the gospel, can't help but live the gospel, that can't help but be so changed by the gospel that they just can't help but talk about it. see a move that only you can do. We want to see your spirit come in power like only he can. God, would you break my heart more for the lostness around me? I don't always love people around me like you call me to. I don't always care about the lostness of our city like you call me to. Lord, would you start my heart? Would you break my heart? Would you break the church's heart? desperate in prayer. We plead with you day in and day out, Lord, would you send a revival? We'll see this city different. We'll see people's lives change. We want to celebrate future baptism services where people get in a pool and say, I was going after this. I was chasing after this. I wanted this, but something happened and Jesus got a hold of my life and the spirit changed me. Now I'm going to spend eternity with him. We get to dunk him and we get to celebrate. God, we want those stories, not because it gives Citizens Church any glory, not because it gives us any glory. We don't care. Because it gives you glory. Because you celebrate the whole host of heaven and the wandering sheep returns home. We love you. Help us to love you more. Help us to love this world and the city around us more. For all these things in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to move into a time of communion and worship like we always do. Feel free to keep praying if you want to during that time. But we want to remember and celebrate the body and blood of Christ. And on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Same way he took a cup of wine and said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant sealed by the shedding of my blood. And every time, church, you eat this little wafer and you drink from this little cup, you're announcing Christ's death until he returns. The death that made a way for us to know him and be reconciled to God for all eternity. That's what we celebrate every time we take communion. If you're not a Christian, it's one of the only things we'd ask you not to do because you'd be saying something is true about yourself that's just not yet. But rather than take communion, we invite you to take Christ, to believe in him, to have your life changed now and forever. So you can stand, you can keep praying, you can worship, you can take communion, all that kind of stuff as the band leads us.